Before we start the podcast, just want to say thank you very much to everyone who's been supporting the Popular Front 10K campaign. We've got a week left now and we're about two grand out from the goal. I don't know if we'll make it, but either way, it doesn't matter. Thank you so much for supporting. Um, if you want to support, please go to popularfront.co slash 10K and there'll be a link there to the Indiegogo campaign. Um, thanks very much. We hit uh, 50% very quickly and we're on our way to the full amount. So thanks, everybody. This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today, we're speaking to Ross Dayton. He's an independent researcher looking specifically into the militant groups in Colombia. Today he's going to be speaking about the Marxist-Leninist guerrilla movement, the FARC or F-A-R-C. They've been on a ceasefire or a peace deal with the government. Things have gone south and basically a dissident faction of the FARC recently said, look, that's it, we're going back to war, which could mean very bad things for the people living in the FARC-controlled areas of Colombia. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash popular front or on the 10k campaign, popularfront.co slash 10k. Fuck this, this Marxist, Leninist, militant group in Colombia. Um, they went back to war recently, right? What is going on there? So it isn't the FARC as a whole that's going back to war. Uh, this is a dissident group. Granted, this is the most high-profile instance of FARC dissidents, since it involves uh, Ivan Marquez, who is the second in command of the FARC, and he was also one of the chief negotiators of the peace deal. It also features a few other uh, important leaders, such as Jesus Santrich and El Paisa. Um, so basically, this is a dissident group. The main FARC group has uh, condemned, which is not a political party um, that has guaranteed representation in Congress. Um, and the leader of the FARC, um, Rodrigo Londoño, he has uh, condemned um, that video. Uh, so basically, this is a uh, this is a FARC dissident group. It's the most high-profile FARC dissident group to date, but and it's definitely a critical threat to the peace process. But it's not um, a total return to war. Okay, well then let's let's talk about the peace process. Then what is it they're going back to war from, and why? I mean. I read about the peace process and it seems to have been a bit of a disaster. Yeah, no, it's definitely been problematic overall. Um, the So basically there's been an increased number of FARC dissidents over the past few years um, due to various issues. Um, one of the main issues has been the assassination of social leaders that has occurred um, in various parts of Colombia. And this has been partly the result because um, the Colombian government hasn't been able to follow up on its part of the deal in taking over the FARC's former territories in a lot of areas. Um, this is due to the geography and economic limitations um, that prevents the Colombian government from doing so. So it's kind of become a free-for-all for, uh, in many parts of Colombia between the remaining armed uh, groups, criminal and militant groups that are still active in Colombia. As a result of the FARC peace deal and the demobilization of the FARC, um, there has been multiple parts of Colombia that the Colombian government hasn't been able to take full control of, and they haven't been able to guarantee uh, security for those regions. 
and it's basically become a free-for-all for the FARC's former territories between various armed groups, uh, including the ELN, um, which is which was the second largest uh, Colombian guerrilla group, now it's the largest. Uh, they've been expanding into those territories, and this has also benefited other groups like the EPL, which is another smaller guerrilla group, as well as um, paramilitary criminal groups like the Clan del Golfo and the Rastrojos, that have also been um, expanding their territories. Right, right, okay. But the government is, from what I read, I read a, a few pieces, one was a really good New York Times piece last year, and it seems to me that the government have really dropped the ball here. I mean, not to excuse anything the FARC are doing, but from what I read, it seemed like the government have really fucked this up. Um, so, I suppose you could say that in a sense, there, it's not necessarily that the Colombian government is entirely abandoning, it's just that it's been a pretty contentious issue. Um, after the... Uh, previous election, uh, Ivan Duque, who is a uh, right-wing uh, political candidate, who's also known as a protege of Alvaro Uribe, who is a, also a right-wing president who is uh, pretty notorious for having a heavy-handed approach for approaching the uh, guerrillas in general, and he's uh, also known for his opposition to the FARC peace deal. Um, and that obviously shaked a lot of the confidence in um, implementing the FARC peace deal. Also, uh, Ivan Duque, while he hasn't abandoned it completely, he has been trying to make some changes, some reforms that would make it uh, tougher on uh, the former FARC guerrillas. And that's created some uh, concerns that the uh, FARC, uh, former FARC members will be willing to return to uh, war or join these dissident groups that are propping up. Right, and I read that a lot of the criminal elements have basically just started murdering FARC people, like taking over areas, turning areas that they controlled. Like, okay, the government didn't control it, but at least the FARC weren't allowing these drug dealers to just kill civilians. That's what I've been reading anyway. Well, I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, obviously, since the FARC itself was also involved in drug trafficking. It was the largest drug trafficking organization. Yeah, yeah. Maybe go into all that, man, because I'm quite ignorant on the issue. Yeah, yeah, no. So, if the so... Yeah, we definitely don't want to depict the FARC as heroes in this sense, um, but yeah, they did control a lot of the territory that the Colombian government wasn't able to, and they did provide some degree of law and order um, to some extent, and it's kind of been just kind of a free-for-all as a result of, uh, in some parts, where they they demobilized. Like, the parts where the Colombian government have been able to enter and take over and provide security and... Um, economic support for communities, those areas have improved as a result of the FARC peace deal, but other parts have gotten worse. Right, and what exactly was the situation before, and like, why did they need the peace process in the first place? Do you get what I mean? I, I know vaguely what FARC were up to, but I, I guess what did, the, what did FARC think they were doing versus what the government don't want them doing? Because obviously they're not like... You know, we know they're involved in drug trafficking massively, but they believe that they're having this, you know, communist kind of area that they want to control and blah, blah. Like, what's what's the ideas? Okay, so um, this has been one of the longest and most ongoing conflicts in the world. Um, the FARC was officially founded in 1964, but it has its origins uh, dating back over a decade before that. Uh, with communist self-defense uh, peasant militias that had formed during a civil war period known as La Violencia. Um, so basically, and it goes back even further than that. So the Colombian government's never held full control of uh, all of its territory, and there's always been conflict between like uh, the elite landlords, um, 
before that with the Peninsulares, the uh, Spanish colonial power, which was eventually replaced with the local Criollo elite in a lot of parts. And there's always been like um, that tension between the landlord elites and the peasantry and the urban elites. Um, and also between um, liberals and conservatives for uh, a very long time, which ultimately resulted in that civil war I mentioned, La Violencia, that gave rise to the FARC. Um, eventually, uh, it's the 70s and 80s, uh, drug trafficking became a um, very lucrative means of armed groups to collect funds and finance themselves, and it's, it was incredibly advantageous, but at the same time, um, that arguably also corrupted a lot of these guerrilla groups since uh, they were no longer, um, they no longer have to sought like popular support. So now they really don't have any popular support for the most part. I think most Colombians are sick of the violence at this point, uh, regardless of their political orientation, and they don't want to return the conflict. Sure, but I mean, I understand that they're sick of the violence, but now what? You know, in the areas where the, the gangs have just taken over, like. What are the government doing to stop that? Um, so, I guess that's a bit of a complicated issue, obviously, because it varies from area to area. Um, so, Ivan Duque has made it a, a um, at least a stated priority to uh, go after the uh, FARC dissident groups as well as the ELN, um, especially after the bombing in Bogota. Um, and However, there has been a lot of accusations that he has been ignoring like other issues such as the uh, assassination of social leaders, the assassination of former FARC members um, that have also resulted from the um, handling of the peace process. Um, there's also issues such as land reform that were part of the FARC peace deal that haven't really been uh, fully implemented yet either. Right, okay. So what do you think is going to happen then now that these, these main dissident groups have said like, yeah, we're going back to war? Um, well, so there's actually a pretty interesting leaked document in um, the Colombian newspaper Semana that came up recently that involves Venezuela. So basically it's saying, it's kind of this leaked document from Sabine, which is the Venezuelan intelligence uh, agency, uh, basically collecting intelligence on Colombian military targets um, and inside what is called the green country in that document and basically that they would support uh, what they call red groups uh, to attack um, these targets in the case that the gray country, presumably like the United States, uh, would come and try to intervene in um, Venezuela given the situation there. So, so what, are the, what are the red groups exactly? announcement, uh, Ivan Marquez's announcement, also ties into this since um, the, he was calling for an alliance with the ELN, um, even though these were historically rival groups. So, and um, since the ELN has the largest presence in Venezuela, has close ties with the Venezuelan government, um, that seems to be kind of an indicative that um, the uh, Venezuelan government uh, is employing these guerrilla groups as a potentially as a proxy inside of Colombia as well as a kind of a para, part of its paramilitary strategy of relying on uh, non-state armed groups inside of its own borders to uh, control territory and um, implement social control on its behalf. Right, so, so what are the ELN doing now then? Because they weren't a part of this peace process, right? Right, right. There was a separate peace process that was... Uh, 
even more contentious in the FARC peace process. Uh, this is mostly due to the ELN's uh, more decentralized uh, kind of leadership. Um, it's more regionally based. Um, different fronts have uh, more influence over the, and autonomy over their actions. And the um, fronts that have access to like drug trafficking routes or access to like um, the Venezuelan border where they're able to cross over, expand their uh, operations and uh, take advantage of that. Um, have been more belligerent. Um, so there is at least one commander of the Western War Front, Uriel, who has basically come out in support of um, Ivan Marquez's message. Uh, so it may be possible seeing some sort of cooperation between the, um, Ivan Marquez's uh, FARC dissident faction and uh, some factions of the ELN. Wow, so they might form like the super group of Colombian dissident militias like um yeah well it probably won't be a super group per se it'll probably be some loose alliance um but it's difficult to say if there'll be like how much cooperation there really will be it's not like um it's not like the like Venezuela like has total control of these groups like these groups obviously act on their own accord on their own interests um, even within their like I said within the subdivisions of the group they they still act autonomously so it's hard to see. Uh, another interesting aspect of the um, video is that um, it did not mention any of the active uh, FARC dissident leaders. Um, so there's a, um, the largest FARC dissident group called the First Front, and it's commanded by uh, Gentil Duarte and Ivan Mordisco. So these two guys, they did not join in with the FARC peace process. They had abandoned it bef um, before it went to implementation, and they... Uh, continued their armed struggle and their uh, criminal activities after uh, the peace process was uh, developed. So they weren't even mentioned in the uh, video at all, which is uh, pretty telling. It could in, um, indicate that there might be some rivalry between uh, who's going to be the leader of the new FARC uh, dissident groups, since it's not like a singularized, singular um, organization either. There's about 31 different uh, FARC dissident groups at this time, probably more than that. So, um, and there's been reports that Gentil uh, Duarte had actually rejected Ivan Marquez's uh, proposal to unite, kind of claiming that since they went ahead with this peace deal, they abandoned their posts. What kind of weapons do they have then at this moment? Because a lot of the FARC turned in, but they, there wasn't an arms amnesty, was there? Um, yeah, they did. Well, a lot of the FARC did demobilize and they turned in their weapons with them, but... Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, but there was still obviously... There's obviously cases where it's clear that they didn't turn in all the weapons or that some groups um, just kept the weapons for themselves or not everything was reported. So there's a lot of uh, weapons and resources that they have that was unaccounted for and that's probably being exploited by... Um, like ongoing FARC dissident groups or any other groups that may have like been able to take it over. Um, there's also uh, questions of like how much support they're getting from the uh, Venezuelan government and like as far as material support. So that's also another ongoing issue. Well, yeah, how real is that? Maybe let's go into that because I've read certain things. I didn't see anything concrete, but you know, you're the expert on this. What do you think? Is that real? Um, as in, like, material support, or... Well, I know they're helping them out, but, like, how much, I guess? Yeah, so, at least within Venezuela, they have very close ties with the uh, Venezuelan government, uh, especially along the border regions. Uh, the ELN, in particular, is uh, present in up to 13 uh, states in Venezuela, 
and in a lot of different locations they've been acting basically as the state itself um, like the ELN is has even been involved in um, like social welfare programs that um, and food distribution programs so they're basically administrating that at local levels and that's an important means of like controlling uh, local communities over there right um and maybe you can go into then a little bit about the difference between the FARC and the ELN, specifically their ideology as well. That's something I think a lot of people don't quite understand. You know, certainly I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they're both Marxist Leninist guerrillas. They both um, draw heavy influence from like the Cuban Revolution, from Che Guevara, from uh, liberation theology. Um, so they're very similar, at least ideologically. Arguably, the ELN is more ideological. Uh, so, and there's also a huge difference in the way they were founded. So the FARC differs a lot from um, the EL in most, I would say most uh, Marxist guerrilla groups in that they were not um, like a group of middle-class intellectuals that um, just went to the mountains and started recruiting peasants and then they started doing like their um, uh, focal polit uh, guerrilla warfare like Che Guevara and uh, Fidel Castro did in Cuba. Uh, so, as I mentioned, they have their origins in the, um, in the, the civil war period known as La Violencia, that um, basically they, uh, peasants that were inspired by like, the Communist Party um, at the time uh, started forming their own self-defense militias and taking over like, local uh, communities um, like during the 1950s. And finally, in the early 1960s, the Colombian government um, stated that this was going to be a problem because they're controlling territories, obviously, and it's a communist threat right in their backyard. And the United States was also supporting of um, this sort of repression. And um, it was so these areas is in Marquetalia. It's, um, so they. Uh, it was kind of called the Marquetalia Republic, given how much autonomy it has, like how much control they were able to enforce in these areas. And they were ultimately crushed, and the leftovers of those uh, self-defense militias uh, reformed themselves, and they became the FARC. Right, and what does the FARC stand for, sorry? <clears throat> Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia, or the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. So that's an, actually another different thing. So after the FARC became a political party, um, it changed its name to... Uh, Fuerzas Alternativas Revolucionarias uh, del Común, like the Common Revolutionary Alternative Force, kind of like a less menacing uh, name. Although the um, Ivan Marquez's group, they're using the full acronym with EP at the end, which stands for Ejército del Pueblo or People's Army, and they're using the old FARC name. So even though, uh, like I said, Ivan Marquez doesn't represent the main uh, FARC group, they are trying to kind of give themselves this like aura of legitimacy that they're the successor to the guerrilla warfare, um, the, the, the guerrilla group as the FARC. And they've also tried to like um, invoke like the Marquetalia Republic and kind of saying this is the second Marquetalia. And so it's kind of like they're trying to put themselves as a legitimate guerrilla group. Right. And what kind of damage did they do when they were in, you know, full war against the state before the, uh, the ceasefire? Right. Um, so, yeah, this has been an ongoing conflict for decades. It's resulted in widespread like terrorist attacks, kidnappings. It was a lot of insecurity um, throughout Colombia uh, for many years um, until eventually, like in the 2000s, when Alvaro Uribe became um, 
president. Uh, he took a much heavier hand and arguably, um, although he, in his uh, response to the uh, FARC was also heavily criticized for human rights abuses and um, the massacres of innocents as well, like as collateral damage. So this has been, and that was able, that was able to weaken the FARC and the EON and other groups. Um, although it, it did came at a heavy cost, and that's something that has been uh, heavily criticised. Right, and can you talk a little bit about the drug trafficking? Because I know that. Well, I first ever found out about the FARC drug trafficking when I was like 19. And I was reading this article about the flipping narco submarines. Like they literally hired a scientist or something or kidnapped him. I don't know. And he was making like intricate submarines for them to smuggle coke with, you know. What, what, what's going on there? Why are they, they smuggling so much uh, drugs? Yeah, I mean, that's just a way, means of making money for them. So it's, it's a highly lucrative... Uh, business um for like criminal groups in colombian uh in colombia in general not just the farc of the, the paramilitary groups that were fighting alongside the government um for a long time before they were dis dismantled um they were also heavily involved in drug trafficking the eln was is involved in drug trafficking it's just uh, it's an opportunity that's just too lucrative for like armed groups to really pass up uh, especially in um, the situation in Colombia where the Colombian government's not able to enforce in every single area of its territory due to the geography that just lends really well to these sort of operations. So um, it's like every single insurgent group in the world involves in some sort of like criminal activity to like fund itself or operate. And that's, that's just taken to the extreme as Colombia. Right, but what did they actually do as the FARC? Like, I know they're running drugs because they want to get money for weapons and whatever. What were they actually doing for this so-called revolutionary ideas that they had? I mean, yeah, just smuggling drugs. Um, a lot of it would go through the border. They would go through, like, the Pacific Coast, or they would involved in production, so really kind of just the whole supply chain. Um, although they also had ties with, like, Mexican cartels and other transnational criminal groups, um, even, like, Hezbollah and things like that to some extent. Um like um even like with like local governments like on in peru under fujimori um he was there's also um some scandals with like involved with weapons deals and drug trafficking uh with his government with his intelligence agency so it was just a really like um really extensive uh drug trafficking um and illicit finance campaign right but they must be doing something you know, for the cause, as it were, like, surely they're doing something. Yeah, I mean, so ultimately, I think it's, there's a lot of uh, arguments, like, basically saying that the FARC are just narco-terrorists, that they don't have a real ideology, they're just doing this as an excuse to sell drugs. Um, in some cases, that does seem pretty plausible, but at the same time, uh, they've been, like, launching this guerrilla warfare, they still train their, um, their recruits and their uh, cadres, cadres with um, Marxist ideology. So some of the ideological and political goals are arguably still there. And those are obviously parts of the FARC peace deal. Yeah, like, like I mean, I get it that they're, they're doing a lot of crime. But if you speak to, to the guerrillas in the mountains or the jungle or whatever, I've seen interviews like they certainly are pretty ideological. They're not idiots and they're not like pretending. You know what I mean? There must be when they say, like, let's go and attack this outpost like why what do they what do they think they're doing like fighting the government or like destroying capitalism or yeah yeah it's definitely there is some ideology to it i mean there's also some people who, who were recruited as like basically children 
and they're kind of just indoctrinated into it. So obviously there is a Marxist ideology. I'm not sure so much that they're trying to overthrow the government entirely anymore. That was the previous goal, but um, it seems now like the Colombian guerrillas in general, their like stated goals is uh, related to specific issues like specific social change, support of um, like labor movements or indigenous movements, at least in what they're claiming anyway. Uh, also kind of just calling out the assassination of like social leaders throughout all of Colombia. Um, they've been calling kind of like a genocide of social leaders that's been going on um, as a result of um, like the ongoing violence. Well, I read as well that a lot of the former FARC who have like, you know, decided to go peaceful are then being killed by, to be honest, like mysterious paramilitaries. I mean, do you know much about that? Yeah, so it's basically just like a paramilitary phenomenon, really. So it's not really like a singular group that's attacking. It's it's just like it's a, part of it's localized, part of it's just criminal groups that have ties with um, uh, local local elites, uh, people who just want to take revenge, that sort of thing. Uh, same thing with the social leaders. It's just um, like criminal or paramilitary groups who have ties with local elites who want to get rid of like these um, human rights activists or like indigenous community leaders uh, who are posing a problem to them. So they that's how they get eliminated. And uh, there's also something you might find interesting. There's, so there's this group, or maybe rather more accurately a label called the Aguilas Negras or the Black Eagles. So it's kind of this paramilitary, like uh, I guess label, like I said, uh, that are just uh, going around threatening like uh, human rights activists and like political opposition leaders like parts of like members of the opposition party um just uh like using that as a threat and there were right-wing paramilitaries as well still there no yeah yeah there's still so um basically the auc which was the auto defensa unida de colombia they were the um kind of this umbrella group of the largest paramilitary groups that operated like in the 90s and in early 2000s um, they had disbanded under Ivan um, under Alvaro Uribe in 2006. However, uh, some of the groups that disbanded um, still maintained their ties to drug trafficking uh, organizations and stuff. So they continue doing those kind of um, work and continue to be um, like criminal paramilitary groups without like the official support that they had from some parts of the government and some parts of the military but those ties are still remaining with a lot of like the uh local government officials or local uh landlord elites and stuff like that um the largest groups would be the largest paramilitary group it's known as clan del golfo or they also call themselves the auto defensas gaitanistas de colombia um and they have their uh, they're also known as the urabenos they go by several names so they um, they're the largest uh, paramilitary group, and they have a presence throughout uh, Colombia and various different parts. Why then, if, you know, it sounds like the FARC and the ELN are like pretty similar, why why do they hate each other, basically? I know they're at the minute that they're maybe going to form this thing, but historically they've been against each other. And I know the ELN are like quite extreme, right? They were even more extreme than FARC. Yeah, in some ways they're more ideological. They have a more ideological background. Like, um, they did. They were formed by like middle class intellectuals and by like Catholic uh, Catholic liberation theology priests like Emilio Torres. Um, uh, basically, they uh, kind of in, inspired by the Cuban Revolution and trying to implement that same model in uh, Colombia. 
when in the 1960s and other groups had formed like the EPL, PPL which is a smaller group in um, in Catatumbo they um, they're a Maoist group um, although they kind of disbanded in the 90s but a major faction of them still remained and it's continued um, thriving so it's there's a lot of like it's not just ideological um, differences per se but it's a lot of it like political and like criminal uh, rivalries as well just between the different organizations like there was uh, there's been some a um, lot of conflict between um, the ELN and the EPL on um, in Catatumbo like in recent years right um, and since this uh, since the the, this dissident group said, like, yeah, we're going to go back to war. Has there been attacks? Have there been any, you know, has there been anything to, to show that, like, they're serious? Yeah, so it hasn't been a major, like, wave of, like, FARC dissidents, like, new uh, former members who are just, like, abandoning the peace process entirely and going into the mountains and, like, joining these dissident groups. We haven't really seen that yet, at least. Um, I think the main purpose of like that video and kind of that announcement was kind of just to bring the existing FARC dissident groups under Ivan Marcus and his group's command. Um, and I don't, so as far as attacks from the FARC, I'm more than usual. I don't think so, though the Colombian government has increased its um, actions against FARC dissidents, kind of showing like uh, the FARC uh, members who are still compliant with the FARC peace deal, they don't um, leave the peace deal or this is what's going to happen to you. So that that's been increased in terms of military operations against FARC dissidents. Right, and what what was the idea for the the FARC fighters that quit? You know, the ones that stepped down and said like, yeah, okay, we agree, we're not going to fight anymore. How did they reintegrate into you know normal society? If you want, how did they come out of the jungle? Yeah, so um, there is an entire basically a process where they. Um, you know, register into the um, transitional uh, peace and justice um, judici- uh, jurisdiction. Uh, it's GEP in Spanish, the, the acronym for that. Uh, basically kind of just like uh, giving some, um, kind of just uh, gives them an opportunity to say like whatever war crimes or any, what they did during the war and then they would uh, get their sentence or get amnesty or whatever and then disarm and go into these uh, reintegration camps where they would um, basically just live off kind of separately uh, also the FARC uh, as a group became a political party with guaranteed uh, representation within Congress um, for at least several years until I guess they get whatever political base they can or need um, so yeah that was bas- that's more or less what has been implemented in order to um, get these FARC members um, out of the guerrilla, out of the mountains, and into, like, uh, reintegrating them into society. Mm. And what do you think the government response will be to this, you know, this new faction saying that they're going back to war? Overall, I think they're... Um, they're probably, Duke is probably going to continue trying to be, I guess, a bit heavy-handed against the FARC. Uh, Wait, sorry, when you, when you say heavy-handed... Like, how so? What what was he doing? Like, killing everyone? Like, carrying out increased military operations, um, just like bombing uh, multiple members of uh, the FARC dissident groups in different parts of Colombia. Um, also, earlier this year, it's um, there was, like, a report from the Colombian military that basically saying, like, um, just increase the number of casualties without... Um, and start, like, give less regards for, like, who you're targeting. So that can also really... Um, that 
uh, caused a lot of concerns for like human rights abuses and um, collateral damage uh, to civilians. So we're, we will probably see more of that overall. Um, and um, also kind of like the escalating tensions with Venezuela could also see like an increased um, reaction against like the FARC or ELN guerrillas in, in Colombia. And why did this specific group decide that like they were going to kind of you know, take the bull by the horns and go back. Like, I know you explained that who these leaders were, but was there anything that kind of broke the camel's back for them? Um, I'm not sure there's any particular issue. I guess there's some allegations that, you know, they were also being um, investigated for their criminal activities that they were involved in. So that would have been a major incentive for them to uh, go back to guerrilla warfare. But at the same time, these were also, like, a lot of the major leaders who... Um, help negotiate the peace deal like in their terms so um, as far as like their accusations that the Colombian government has entirely like abandoned the betrayed the FARC peace deal and that there's no choice but to go to arms that's not really true I would say but um, there is definitely been some issues with Ivan Duque and um, his views of the peace deal and that definitely um, sparks concerns and how big a FARC? Like, do we have any idea what kind of numbers they're at these days? So it was about 13,000 members who disarmed, who were part of the peace deal, and the majority of them are still uh, complying with it, like over 90% of them. Um, however, wow. there's, there's something, like estimates suggest there's somewhere between like 2,000 to 3,000 uh, FARC dissidents active in Colombia. There's about 31 different uh, FARC uh, groups um, estimates obviously vary depending on like the mil different sources and it's never going to be precise um, the ELN has something like uh, 2,500 total um, fighters although they also uh, employ a lot more people like along the Colombian Venezuelan border um, it's been reported that along that border uh, Colombian guerrillas in general uh, employ up to 15,000 people like for different illicit activities not just for fighters so, and they've also been uh, increasingly recruiting from Venezuela, uh, including like child soldiers and like children who are like, who drop out of high school and um, they're able, they've been able to reach out to uh, like the schools and use radio stations, kind of just communicate their ideology and then recruit uh, youths who, a lot of them don't have many economic opportunities otherwise. And, you know, joining a guerrilla that provides um, that for their well-being and gives them like a cause to fight for is something that they would probably see as um, attractive. Yeah, it's kind of same old story all over the world, man. Um, Ross, is there anything else you want to you want to say about this situation that you think we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I mean, it's been like I said, there is on uh, increasing uh, escalation between the Colombian government and the Venezuelan government, and now it appears like we're seeing like a uh, development of proxy warfare. Um, like I recently wrote about, there is already the Venezuelan government was already in, um, involving Colombian guerrilla groups as kind of a paramilitary strategy of like employing non-state actors to work on its behalf. But um, that's starting to appear that it's becoming more of an international issue, more of a proxy warfare issue that will become an increasingly uh, difficult challenge to deal with as um, tensions continue to escalate between. Uh, Colombia and the United States and Venezuela. Is, is Venezuela actually training FARC like inside Venezuela? Um, they're 
Being, so I've actually found uh, allegations that the FARC were training like uh, members of like colectivo groups of like paramilitary groups in Venezuela. In Venezuela, so it's more like the other way around. Yeah, it would make sense because they have more experience, I guess. You know, like after being in the jungle. Absolutely. So they have a lot more experience with guerrilla warfare, and with uh, fighting like a superior military. So that's definitely something that's very advantageous for the Venezuelan government. Uh, especially in the advent of their invasion. Not that I think that situation is likely, but that's something that they, they hype up a lot and something that is um, obviously something they take into deep consideration, not just propaganda-wise. Um, so it's kind of that's kind of like a major deterrent, just being able to conduct that kind of guerrilla warfare and also like to train um, Venezuelan uh, loyalists to the government in those kind of tactics. And additionally, they also have like all the ties to like uh, transnational criminal networks. They have the know-how, so that's also incredibly useful for like corrupt uh, Venezuelan government officials who are deeply involved in the drug trade. Do Do you have any idea of how much volume they shift? You know, the FARC from the the jungles to you know, I guess the rest of the world. It's mostly cocaine as well, right? It's got to be almost all cocaine. Yeah, it's mostly cocaine. Yeah, I don't have an exact number of the exact tons now, although um, really like in past few years, the amount of uh, overall drug trafficking and Colombian cocaine production has increased despite um, efforts of like dismantling the FARC and, um, you know, trying to get uh, people away from it so it's it's in it's been increasing like maybe in the past year there's been a slight decrease but it's still going strong right and how is it the, the military haven't been able to dislodge them is, is it just because like the terrain and you know guerrilla warfare or, or what yeah it's the terrain is definitely a major um it's definitely a major obstacle for them and it's also it's just um, limited resources in general it's, it's just difficult to deal with it's, like I said the Colombian government's never been able to fully control all of its territory so it's just an ongoing part of its history mm, and, it's fascinating man yeah. um, alright Russ uh, if people want to follow your work you know get in touch with you and talk to you about the FARC or whatever um, where can they do that yeah so uh, I'm on Twitter uh, my handle is R-D-A-Y-T underscore um, I couldn't get my full name unfortunately on there but yeah you can follow my work uh, I tweets sporadically at times sometimes i'm more active than others but like any major like publications or like podcasts or anything i find interesting i'm definitely sharing on there so yeah feel free to follow me appreciate it all right man. thank you very much man okay thanks for having me that was ross dayton speaking about colombia paramilitary groups and how fuck is going back to war if you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, this is all grassroots. Please do consider subscribing on the Patreon, patreon.com slash popularfront. For a very small amount of money, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you want, you can get bonus episodes, access to the Discord, all sorts of stuff there, patreon.com slash popularfront. Also, we have new merchandise in the shop and we have an actual URL now. So if you go to www.popularfront.shop, you can see all the merchandise there. Got patches, t-shirts, we're selling the private suite poster, all sorts of stuff there. Um, definitely check that out. 
Also, we're moving forward with the uh, 10K campaign, as I mentioned at the start. Thank you very much if you've been a part of that. We've got seven days left uh, when this goes out and we are something like 70% towards the end. Um, so hopefully we'll make it. If not, it doesn't matter. Like I said, we wanted to get five to 10. We were already on about seven grand. So that's just like already amazing. So thank you very much. Uh, but please do consider sharing it um, and supporting us if you can. And you can support there with as little as five pounds. If you go to popularfront.co slash 10k, like 10k, you'll find a link to the Indiegogo campaign where you can uh, support us. This episode was sponsored by the Defence Post, Defence with an S, defencepost.com, check them out. Also, uh, follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash popular.front. We're getting absolutely battered by the uh, Instagram um, stupid algorithm. We're getting like loads of the posts are getting taken down. They're threatening to ban us. We've had three strikes. So I don't know, the, the, the Instagram account might get banned. We have a backup, which is at popularfront.co. Um, so you can follow us on the backup as well. But it's a nightmare, man. Like it's such bullshit. Like we have 10,000 followers on the Instagram, all organically, you know, no bullshit. Um, and I applied for um, a verification badge to try and stop so much of our content getting deleted and, you know, getting all these strikes. Now, Instagram wrote back to me and said, no, the channel isn't big enough. We can't give you the verification. Now, here's how I know that's bullshit. When I worked at Vice News, Vice News had a little fucking corporate deal with Instagram and sent an email around to every reporter on Vice News saying, if you want your Instagram account verified, send us your details now the whole team got fucking verified i didn't i at the time i was like fuck it like i don't care like i don't even have a personal instagram account now anyway but um uh so the whole team got verified now you know a few of my friends that were there have like a thousand followers on instagram and are verified so now instagram is suddenly telling me that popular front with ten thousand followers is not worthy of verification because it's not big enough well that's bullshit as i've just pointed out now it's not about followers and that my point is like Again, if you just try and start your own thing, do grassroots, do what you're trying to do independently as the internet was originally great for, now you're just getting fucked. Corporations are absolutely sucking the life out of uh, independent creation, you know, and fuck them. That's why we started Popular Front. So yeah, support us, patreon.com slash popular front. Um, also, if you go to YouTube, uh, subscribe to our YouTube. That's youtube.com slash popular front. What I've started doing is putting up all the podcast episodes. I put like one or two up a day because it just takes so fucking long to render on my on my MacBook. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I realize a lot of people watch um, or listen to podcasts um, on YouTube and that. So yeah, if you go there, you see the, the podcast episodes, all of our video content as well, you know. Uh, the raw footage of the clashes in Greece, our latest uh, dispatch from Syria, our documentary about the Ukrainian anarchists, our documentary from the bog side in Derry in Northern Ireland. We've got a lot going on there, youtube.com slash popularfront. Also, be sure to go to our website, popularfront.co. If you want to show someone what Popular Front is, the website is probably the best way, popularfront.co. Um, and also on our Twitter, twitter.com slash popularfrontco. And mine is Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Thank you very much to the following Patreons. Without you, this would not be possible. 
Thank you to Adam Berg, Snyder, Axel Iverson, Brian McLaughlin, Callum, Callum Ross, Chad Walker, Christina Rivetti, Christopher Martin, Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, David Gilmore, Diana Gorvanek, uh, E. Louise Larson, Emiliano, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, Jack Mayhoff, the comedian, James from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, uh, Josh, Juan Hernandez, Juan, yeah, Juan Hernandez, uh, K. Hardy Roberts, Kyle N. Payne, Lawrence Abrahams, LH, Lee Kamadic, another comedian, Margaret Bowling, Moody Al Rashid, Nate Van Dor, Noah, Nobody, wait, no, that's Ari, <laughs> Patrick, McBro uh, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from What Bitcoin Did, Q-Ball, Russia Alakida, Al Jesus Christ, I, I can't even speak today, Russia Al Akidi, <laughs> Russia Al Akida, Jesus Christ, get cancelled for that, sorry Russia, uh, Rohan Obari, Ryan Sandercock, Skartoon Music, Sebastian from the Discord, uh, Sarushe Hawazi, Stephen Davila, Teddy, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, and Vida Provost. Thank you very much. Oh, and Zachary Hinch as well. Sorry, that's at the end now. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, like I said, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash popularfront. I've heard people say that there is, and this isn't me just bullshitting, I swear, people said that the amount you get on the popular front Patreon for the for the money is like one of the best, you know, there's some people that don't update their Patreon for months, every month we've got new bonus episodes, there's something always going up there, so yeah. Also, you can subscribe to our email newsletter, we put some stuff out there that doesn't really go anywhere else, to be honest, um, we don't update it that often, but you know, we do, do bit, put bits up there, it's the uh, popular front uh, special delivery newsletter it's called what is it um popularfront.substack.com yeah uh music in this episode the intro was by home and as always the outro was by my mate sam black find his music at soundcloud.com slash sun dash of dash old <laughs>